Welcome to The Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Throughout the account of scripture, you see people going through stuff that appears random, arbitrary. You see certain stories in scripture that don't fit into anything else. Uh, At face value, you can't place them. You see random narratives in scripture and sometimes you can't seem to place them with anything else or anyone else until you look at it in the, in the light of the whole. You know, and sometimes you look at stuff happening in your own life and you, and you has it happened to you before where you go into scriptures to find yourself and you don't see yourself and it troubles you. You look at, you look at Joseph's story and you look at Gideon's story and, and Deborah's story and, and Esther's story and And you're wondering, which of these am I? Has it happened to anybody? And the Lord began a deal with me about how there is so much about yourself you will not find because you are. And these two words are probably the most pertinent words in the life of a believer because you are in Christ. So there is stuff about what you're going through that you would not be able to place in any biblical narrative. Because the exchange was such that Christ became everything you were so that you can become everything he is. Such that to identify and explain who you now are, you can only find it in. If scripture says that he, being a man like us, was tempted in every way, the challenge now becomes you're going through a temptation, you can't seem to see where Jesus went through it. So you conclude there's nowhere in the world Jesus would have gone through it. At least we know he was hungry once. We know he was thirsty, you know, on the cross. You know, we know that somebody stole money from him at least twice. In fact, the Judas issue shows up in one chapter and then the the two chapters after, you see Judas again, still tampering with the money of Jesus. Yes, and that's just what was recorded, sir. Because like I told you before, Judas perfected his ministry from the little things. Yeah, He didn't just get up and say, you know, let me go and sell Jesus. No, no. Been pilfering, pilfering became, you know, theft and then grand theft. Auto. <laughs> then it graduates to unarmed robbery. I'm very sure Judas had tried some things. Yeah, there, there's no see, there's no way you would just get up and sell Jesus. think about it. So, you'd have 
trafficked one or two things. So all the major things start from something smaller. And sometimes you're looking through in the narrative of scripture to see where, where you fit. And you can't find it. Because some things were not recorded. You know, John explains that in chapter 21. Yeah? He said, if all the things that were, that were done were, were written, he said, I, I believe that the world itself will not be able to contain the amount of books that would have been written. That means not everything was written, but John said he wrote sufficiently enough that we might believe. And this is 25 of, of John 21. Actually, let's, let's look at the first one in John 19, John 20 and 30. John 20, 30. We'll come back to this in a minute. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. See that? Next verse. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you may have life in his name. So he wrote enough for you to believe. All, all, all of this. So just, just enough to believe. Now see... Um, 21 and 25. And there are also many other things. Now, uh, chapter 20 says signs. This one says things. So while chapter 20 was, was, was concentrating on how many other miracles Jesus did that are unrecorded, in 21, he's alluding to just things. Do you understand now? 20 emphasizes on signs or miracles or wonders. 21 just generalizes all the things that Jesus did. Which if they were written... One by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that will be written. Amen. <laughs> so it is. So it wasn't just um, hypothetical. He meant it. Amen. And so you go through scripture trying to find yourself sometimes and you can't. And, and the consolation here is for you to understand that if you are in Christ, then at one point or the other, he became the embodiment of everything you're going through. So that you don't think that you, Jesus, I mean, Hebrews will not just get up and say, we do not have a high priest who is not touched. I've told you over and over, anytime you see a double negative, it's a positive. We do not have a high priest who is not touched, which means we do have a high priest who is so, so, so very, very touched. With our weaknesses. Please look at the context. So when Jesus carried a whip and flogged people. Excuse me man. Jesus lost his temper. He was a man. Wavex. You brood of vipers. Foxes. A man we don't vex. Over his father's business. Put that scripture back up in the TPT. Let's see how he puts it. He understands humanity for as a man. You know, Peter tells them in Acts 2, Jesus, a man, commended to you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He understands humanity for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are and conquered sin. That is to say what tempted him was sin. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. King James says weaknesses. Of course, he had to overcome sin because he was the sacrifice. And the sacrifice could not be corrupted. That is not to say that Jesus did not contend with every single human nuance that we contend with. Nothing, it is unjust of God 
to exclude Jesus from any incident in, in his humanity and, and make us contend with the same. Now, Jesus was in some sort of a hybrid. That would be different standards. So if we're going through it, he went through it. Even if the records don't state it. So don't be discouraged when you can't see yourself in the pages of the book. See him. Don't let anybody show you yourself outside how Christ defines you. Don't magnify any instance in your life above how Christ defines you. If you are a new creation, if you are, if you are a new creation, you will not see yourself in the scriptures. Yeah, you will see yourself. Because there are certain realities of Joseph that can only bring you this far. Certain realities of Daniel that can bring you this far. Certain realities of, of, of Naomi that can only bring you this far. To see yourself in the scriptures as a new creation, you must see him in whom you are a new creation. So, so you matter, but see, it's not so much, oh. Such that you don't get consumed by what is happening to you. The good, the bad, and the ugly, and all these three have moodus with your name on it. And you can sit down and be all sanctimonious and act like, you know what, you're the one that helped Jesus to die for the sins of the whole world. You know, there's people like that that stuck up in conceited self-righteousness. Like nothing used to do you. Wait. Wait. Because you see, as surely, surely as the earth remaineth. Eh? Seed time. Will not cease. The rules of engagement will not change when it's your turn. And that's why I'm very careful the way that I walk. My strengths, my weaknesses, my frailties, my excesses, my, my successes. That's why the Lord taught us Afro-Rentes long time ago. Don't let what you achieve or fail distract you. Why? Because there are things you will succeed at and there are things you will fail at. You win some, you lose some, in a manner of speaking. And so you start to look for, you, for yourself. You don't see yourself. So you matter, but not, you're not all that. And the reason why Christ can't be fully formed in us, as Paul prays in Galatians 4, is because too much of ourselves are in the way. That's why one of the worst things you can start to pray for now as a new creation is, Father, show me a sign. Something will happen to you. God of Gideon. Okay. You know Gideon's story now. God of Moje. You know Moje? Moses. Yeah. You now. So now you now carry the guitar, the guitar that you know. Yeah. And say, Father, this guitar, as I touch it, let it turn to snake. You will not stay, man. You. And then now that it's a living, breathing snake, as I touch the tail of the snake, let it turn back to me. So by this time, by this time, you are in Twins Island and you are not wet. You, there's no water. You know Twins Island? You know when you stand at Marina Resort and look across? That, yeah? 
you, are, you will find yourself at Twins Island and you are not drenched in water. Whether you swam there or you were carried there, <laughs> you were egg ballowed, <laughs> you were philippized. And you will not be able to explain how you got there in seconds. The New Testament believer's reality is not in human tangibilities. The New Testament believer's reality is not in human tangibilities. I've taught you before. Be careful what you can touch. So we are consumed momentarily by something that is now. It's too small to define your reality. Too small. When they asked for a sign, Jesus, Jesus told them. He said an adulterous and perverse generation seeks a sign. How come it has become the language of Christianity? When Jesus said anybody looking for a sign is adulterous and perverse. Question. Then that's when he said, no sign will be given them except the sign of Jonah. But the point there is, a wicked and adulterous generation, perverse generation, seeks a sign. Which is to say, if you are running around looking for a sign, you are wicked, perverse, and adulterous. Which is also to say, if you are running around and looking for what to eat, drink, and wear, you are a Gentile. You are a pagan. So when we organize meetings and services tailored around meeting physical needs, what are we championing? Paganism. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, after these things do the Gentiles seek or the pagans. He says, but you, let me tell you what to seek, not what to wear. Not what to eat, not what to drink. Seek first. And I've taught you first, here is not seek this one, and then after you have sought it, you can seek the others. First is protoss, seek as the only. The kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, what are these things? The things which the Gentiles seek. What happens to he who seeks the kingdom and his righteousness? The things the Gentiles seek will be added. Does that make sense? That's why even in David's case, he doesn't get up and pray and believe God for goodness and mercy. He gets up and says, goodness and mercy, follow me. I'm going out, follow me. I'm going to walk, follow me. All the days of my life, goodness, as long as I show up, goodness and mercy are following me. He wasn't running after them. He wasn't having goodness service and releasing oils of mercy. So surely, surely, surely. If they follow David, they are in us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. if they follow David. According to Jesus, whithersoever he went. And they're in us. So signs are for perverse, adulterous generation. New believers' reality is not centered on human tangibilities. Say, Father, show me, show me me. See him. And stretch your imagination. Jesus had a full 
full, robust, comprehensive human experience. He did. He did. Stretch your imagination. There's no way you would tell me that his disciples did not see Jesus relating once or twice. He's a man. Is Jesus the man? Don't look at me funny and say, oh, you have desecrated our Lord and Savior. Get out! Because this is how we can idolize these things and, and forget the connection. He's your elder brother. There's no claim to be your elder brother if he didn't experience your humanity. Did Jesus snore? See, excuse me. The guy enters a city and they brought all their sick to him. And the Bible says in Luke, and he healed them all. Sir, after that kind of crusade, how will you sleep? <laughs> he said the way he slept on the boat. <laughs> if, if it's you, excuse me, how will you sleep? So that, you, you understand? There's no, see, let the heavens open. <laughs> Jesus will sleep in sleep. And this is Jesus who didn't sleep immediately after the crusade. Crusade finished, he went up to pray. Remember, sent them off. Sent off the people. Sent off his disciples. After the crusade, went up the mountain. Still prayed for some hours. Before, do you understand what I'm saying? So picture Peter and Andrew. You know? Or at least, at least, if nobody else. These two mischievous sons of Zebedee. Picture those boys. I like to imagine they were younger since their mom was still speaking for them and carrying them around saying, Jesus, put this one on your left hand, put it on your right hand. I like, I like to imagine that they were younger than Peter, for instance. Do you understand? And then Jesus calling them sons of thunder and then having all this exuberance. I will go and do my research, but I'm very sure I will find that they were younger, younger men. Because they were very mischievous. Playing with fire. Can we cut that fire and consume a whole village? Come on. So I won't put it past James and John, sons of Zebedee, looking at Jesus sleeping. Imagine if they had a mobile phone in that era. <laughs> I'm like, Jay, 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 you know, the master is sleeping, you know. The master is sleeping. But I'm very sure they had, Jesus had a full human experience. Oh, yeah, scripture would be lying when he said he was tempted in every way. And therefore he identifies with our weaknesses weaknesses, our frailties. Don't take him by surprise. So downplay yourself. Magnify your identity. In I've told you, new believers, the two words that will you, man, it will be hard pressed to find two words put together that are more important than the two words in Christ. There's through Christ, there's, there's with Christ, you know, but, but two words put together in Christ, you'd be hard-pressed to find any other combination of words that carry so much weight. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I began to do a study. I'm not done with it. I have quite a bunch. Oh, I don't know if I can find it. I'm just going through scriptures that have to do. I found it. Romans 3.24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is... Romans 6, 11. I know what I'm saying. I don't just come up and throw something. Yes, sir. Romans 6, 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. 
Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are Romans 8.2 For the law of the spirit of life Romans 12.5 So we be many are one body I hope with these few scriptures of mine And I can go on and on I'm scrolling I'm, I'm, I'm physically scrolling through scriptures are plenty in Christ. You see that? In Christ, scriptures, scriptures. And I'm not done. So when I stand and tell you that there's, there's hardly any two words put together, go and check the, 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 the laying out of Paul's doctrine. Those two words in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You can't ignore those words. Anyway, you see them together. It defines every context of what the scripture is trying to say. All through Ephesians 2, he made us to sit with him together in heavenly places in Christ. Excuse me. You are sat with Christ together in heavenly places which are in Christ. Made, raised us up together, together with him. And made us to sit together with him. In the heavenly places, in him. He is the, why is he called Lord of hosts? And I've asked you over the years, which host is he not Lord of? Even the heavenly places are hosted in Christ. Come on. In Christ, powerful stuff. So when you start to find yourself and can't see yourself in the pages, check. Because your location. That, with that understanding, when we teach New Testament realities, you will not struggle to find the application. Your consolation becomes, if this meant that, if this shows that, even if my case is not exactly mentioned because I am in Christ who lived all of my human experience, then nothing about me takes him by surprise. That is the thrust of this teaching that's supposed to be the conclusion that I'm giving you at the beginning. So you can enjoy the journey. You ready? So when you see stuff that points to the Christ Experience the Christ revelation in scriptures, it should always excite you. It should excite you to see Jesus jump out of the pages of a, of a story, jump out of the details of an experience because your consolation is, and again, like I said, I'm starting my message from the end. Jesus says in Hebrews, he says, um, it's David, you know David, David was a loud mouth. He said a lot of things, you know, exaggerating his experiences because he didn't realize he was prophesying about Jesus. But if you look at David's utterances based on David's experiences, you'll be like, ah, calm down now. You not abandon my soul in show. You have not died, sir. God, why have you abandoned me? You were, oh, come on. You're not even king. You are still running from Saul. All you had on your head was anointing. Why have you abandoned me? somebody who never saw defeat. Yes. David. Yes. 
Never lost a battle. Even the unplanned ones. Even the ones he was deceived into fighting. Come back. Where are our wives? Where are our children? Where are our slaves? They, ah, they burned down Ziggler. Let's go. Next thing. Spoils. Guy was winning battles for the kings that were hosting him. And giving them spoil until some king said, you know what? You are too powerful for us. And he's crying. Why are you forsaking me? One minute you are saying, by my God, I can run through a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. Next minute, you're not abandoned my soul in show. Which show did you go, sir? Until you realize that his exaggerations were prophetic utterances of Jesus. And so when you see Jesus in the narrative of David, you see yourself in the narrative of Jesus. And stop trying to equate yourself to David. And the problem in your life to Goliath. When you can't shoot a catapult. Every Goliath. There's no Goliath in your life. Because there's either Goliath or there's none. So we're looking for yourself in, in human narratives. Instead of seeing Christ in those narratives. And then in seeing Christ, have the assurance that, whoo, I am. Can we begin our journey? So the entirety of the scriptures is the message of Christ. Such that to miss him in the pages is to miss everything God has to say. To miss everything that Bible has to say. We've learned that a lot in this house. So Paul starts this journey in Romans 14. And when I was doing this study, I, I tried as much as I could to not get sucked into Romans 14. Especially in, in light of the times. But Paul starts this whole journey um, uh, demystifying liberties in Romans 14, right? Essentially, he picks on a few things. He picks on what is, what is regarded as clean and unclean. Right? He picks on what kind of diet a believer can choose to be on. Vegetarians didn't start today. Right from the Babylonian conquest of Israel, you see people saying, just give us vegetables and, and water. So I, I don't eat this kind of food. Didn't start today. The Roman church had it. So Paul deals with that. He deals with what is rendered clean and unclean. He deals with what kinds of foods people should eat in the faith. Uh, and he deals with what days of the week are sacred for worship, essentially. And like I've, I've said before, you can deduce from these three different categories of life issues that we can apply this principle across board. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because for, for, some, for someone it's food, for somebody else it's, 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 it's clothing. Same principle. Does that make sense? For somebody else, is, is money. Somebody might want might be, be a big fan of savings. I, 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 I honestly think that people that save successfully are phenomenal. Yeah. I honestly, I, you're not human. You're not, you're, not, you're not a normal person. I celebrate your grace. I may never be like you in this life. <laughs> or the life that is to come. But I would like to have you around me. As my bestie. Yes. In case of incacity. 
Some people are dying. They are scruffy. They are, they are suffering. He, and they are a bank. If not for Romans 40, I would have said to you, an enemy has done this. Hey, but who are you to judge another man's servant? So his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand, he will stand, he will stand. For God is able to, God who alone can make him fall, is able to make him stand. So, ah, if you are a savist, mommy, saving me. How? My Jesus said, sufficient food today. Are his own troubles. And he did not lie. He says, He that watches the wind will not sow. He says, There's he that withholds what it is meat and tends to poverty. Proverbs 11. There's he that scattered abroad and come into plenty. Hey. Choose your own. <laughs> we are all saved with the blood of Jesus. Both people that are saving, people that are correct. Doesn't matter what kind of accounts you have. Now, these are the little things that were rocking the Roman church. Do you understand? Somebody talks about savings from the scriptures. Somebody talks about current account from the scriptures. Somebody says, I'm a vegetarian. I'm a vegetarian. It's blood that they used to save us. I will not eat blood from the scriptures. Somebody says, it's because of that blood that they use that I will eat blood. saved us, why should we not eat blood in remembrance of blood? Yeah. And everybody was going crazy with good reason. Yeah. And these were saints who were saved. That's what Paul's discourse in Romans 14 deals with. It deals with our inconsequential disparities. Inconsequential, because by the time you say Jesus is not the son of God. And I say, Jesus is the son of God. So we can't agree. Remember the STP? No, we can't, we can't, we can't agree. That, that, that disparity is, is, consi- is, is consequential. It's consequential. The Holy Spirit does not live in people. The Holy Spirit lives in people. We have a problem. We have a problem. But Paul was dealing with inconsequential disparities. Does that make sense? Inconsequ- inconsequential to our faith. Inconsequential to our commonwealth. Inconsequential to our salvation. How be it consequential to our earthly living? Do you understand? Because there's, some, there's, there's a church meeting in Chloe's house that chose Tuesday. The one in Crispus's house chose Thursday. The one in Crispus's house is looking at the one in Chloe's house and I ah, see them. Tuesday. What is Tuesday? Can you hear how it sounds? Tuesday. Inconsequential. And this was prevalent in the Roman church. So Paul takes Romans 14 and deals with it. Now while the three pivotal examples are food, days of the week, and clean and unclean stuff, which he also talks about in 1 Corinthians 8, where it deals with foods giving to idols. Same parallel. The applications are universal. Why, why would you wear gold wig? Doesn't... If I had your face, you don't have my face. You have your face. If I had your kind of skin, I would wear, you keep your kind of skin. Keep your kind of skin. Ah, me, I will not wear something that shows 
my shoulders. Keep your shoulders. It all belongs to you. Keep your shoulders. Can you see how inconsequential these things are? And these things reveal the deep-seated depravity in the human mind. What you should focus on. You can't see. Even if it slaps you in the face. Jesus told them, remove the plank, 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 plank in your eye. You could see a speck. There is a log. You know plank? My whole gani. Hey, there's a tree, tree, tree. <laughs> and you managed to see speck. Wow. So Paul deals with these things. He makes certain poignant statements. I'm not talking about Romans 14 today. He makes certain poignant statements like, like, in, like in verse 15, in verse 19. Let's go to verse 19. Romans 14, 19. He says, therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. That's the remit of our engagement. Yes, yes. Let God be true. Let every man be alive. Let us pursue the things that make for peace and the things that edify or the things that build one another up. If it is not making for peace or edification, it's not of God. No matter what it is. Edification is building. There's no tearing down in edification. Oikodomo doesn't have a nuance that suggests the tearing down. So let us make, pursue the things that make for peace and, and the things by which we may Edify one another. Please see verse 20. Before verse 20, I've just told you that food, clothing, uh, uh, food, days of the week, and clean and unclean are an example of so many things in life. See verse 20. See that first statement. For sake of, put anything there. Food, days, whatever, money, weaknesses, challenges, uh, uh, um, how, how long you pray yeah. how short you pray yeah. you know how many you're, you're not praying church because we don't pray every day at 6 a.m okay no problem you that you are praying church please pray oh thou praying church pray for us do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food all things indeed are pure but the things that are pure are evil for the man that eats the same pure things with offense. All things indeed are pure, but the same thing is evil. The pure thing becomes evil to the man who eats the pure thing with offense. Selah. 21, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine. And before you say, Pav, you are adding to scripture what is not already there. See the next thing, not do anything. So you see food? And all, we're just examples of anything. And I eat meat, not drink wine, not do anything by which your brother stumbles. Or is offended. Or is made weak. See this next crazy statement in verse 22. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Shall you have faith? They are righteous. It's you and God. Don't drag anybody on the basis of your righteousness. Do you have, have it to yourself? 
for God. You can eat food given to idols. Have it to yourself. You can't stomach it to yourself. He deals with this and he finishes in 23 whatever is not of faith is sin. That's also instructive, but let's not talk about that today. Now, the conversation I've told you do not let chapters and verses truncate a thought of scripture. Don't do it. So now most times we think the discourse ends in 14. It doesn't. Chapters change. The thoughts continues. So 15 and 1, which is where we're going. You see how similar it is to the previous narrative. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Please put it here in the message. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. TPT. Now those who are mature in their faith can easily be recognized for they don't live to please themselves. But have learned to patiently embrace others in their immaturity. And this is a spillover from chapter 14. Same thought. Same thought. NLT. I'm almost at the verse I need to start teaching. <laughs> we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. What are this? And look at that statement and that's instructive. We must not just. That's why I said you matter but not so much. Or have an overinflated sense of self-importance. It goes on into verse 2. Let each of us, New King James, oh, stay here, stay here, stay here. Stay here. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. His good. And then Paul says, leading to same word. He keeps hammering it. Edification. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Very Kai. And that's somebody who is the containment of the pleasure of God. Someone who was the only person righteous in the whole earth. Didn't live to prison, please himself. But as it is written, you can dreams. As the scriptures say, stay here, LLT. The insults of those who insult you, oh God, are falling on me. That's what he quoted this of Jesus, even though it was David that said it. I was David, I said it, Psalm 69, I think it is. David. <laughs> because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you are falling on me. David here sounded like he's taking the insult of God. <laughs> but it was a reference to who? For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written... The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. New King James. Quoting the exact same scripture. So right there, David was not about David. Then we get to verse 4, which is where I'm going today. Christ did not please himself, as is written. Then verse 4, he quotes David in verse 3. Go back to verse 3. 
Quotes David in verse 3. Right? I just showed you. Yes. Psalm 69, 9. Yes, Old Testament. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Old Covenant. Yes, sir. Scriptures. Yes, sir. David. Yes, sir. But of Jesus. Yes, and Paul realized, wait, I just quoted David right now. Yes. Of Jesus. Yes. And as I've taught you, David, Paul, always, Paul always preempts the questions in the people he's teaching. So the next verse answers the preempted question. David, Jesus, Old Testament, where you are saying we are New Testament, where, where do we draw the line? How do we understand at one point this thing is about Jesus and at what point it's not about Jesus? Then the next verse, Paul then answers. It says, whatever things were written before, were written for our learning. That we, through the patience or perseverance and comfort, and I've explained to you what comfort is, yes, of the scriptures might have hope. Can we break down verse 4 a little bit? Yes, Quick forensic exegesis. Yes, the things that were written aforehand, written aforehand, pro a graphe, graphe, which is what is written in the, in, 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 in the Greek, right? Yes, New Testament is written in Greek. Graphe, what is written, or writings, which would have been rendered graphos, but graphe, and then pro is something that is before. Yeah? So whenever you see it as a prefix, it's qualifying something that has been. Yeah? Pro or pre, depending on how it's rendered. So it's a compound word in Greek, pro a graphe. Writings that have existed beforehand. Does that make sense? As a compound word. As a single word, pro e graphe. So pro plus e with an accent, and then graphe with a forward-facing accent as well. Pro e graphe put together from pro and graphe refers to writings that have been put down before. But it, as a word, pro e graphe in itself also refers to something that has been publicly portrayed, something that has been displayed. So not only does it refer to not only does it refer to what was written before, it refers to what is put on display. And that's instructive. So what was previously written was written such that it could be publicly displayed. Are you following me now? Not just rewriting. It's more significant than that. Something that can be publicly displayed. And those things were written for our learning. Didascalia. We have, we have read that before. D-I-D-A-S-K-A-L-I-A. Didascalia, learning, is not sitting down and somebody just giving you information. Didascalia actually refers to the result of information received. Learning, dead. So when you see learning, just not, it's, not, it's not referring to English learning, that just for you to learn something as though you didn't have it before. But didascalia refers to what is the outcome of what information you have received or what that information received has generated in you, cost you to do, cost you to see, cost you to think, cost you to become. And that word is the word translated doctrine. <laughs> Are you here? First yes, Timothy 1 and 10. Prographe previously, thank you, graphics, previously written stuff, which also means publicly portrayed stuff. 
were given, were written, were displayed, were portrayed. For a, a, please picture where Paul is coming from. He just alluded to a psalm of David to explain what he said about Jesus not serving himself. And so he goes, okay, let me explain what is going on that is making me go back to the Old Testament as often as I am doing so to teach you what I'm teaching you. This is the same thing that, that, that got the Thessalonican guys very, very annoyed. Do you remember that? Yes, sir. And the Bereans also concerned, but because they were of better character, did not beat up on these guys like the Thessalonians did. And went to see if these things were so. Because these things were, Paul were bring, was bringing out, he was bringing these things out from the Old Testament. Are you following me now? From the Old Testament. And how come we've read this thing for years? And we have never seen this. And not just... Did they have what was written? They also had oral tradition. In fact, most of the law was oral tradition for many generations before it was written down. That's why whenever when God began to give Moses the words of the law, he says, write down the words of this song. So the law came in song form so you could sing it and remember. And translate it because there was nothing being written at the time. So there's oral tradition embedded in scripture. A lot. A lot. Peter himself says in the book of Acts, as Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have no place where it's on record that Jesus said so. But who is saying Jesus said so? Peter. Was Peter with Jesus? Were you with Jesus physically? Who are you then, like I said last week, to dispute what Peter said Jesus said? Oh, it doesn't look like Jesus could have. Were you there? Who are you? If Peter said, Jesus said, Ma, Jesus said. What is that? A classic example of oral tradition that's not written in the Bible. Um, you came to this, our father Jacob built this well, drank it, drew from it and gave his sons to drink. And you are saying this well does not have water. John 4. Now, we know it is Jacob's well. But there's no place in Genesis where we see where Jacob built a well. Or drew from it, drank it, and gave to his sons. No such place in Genesis. Where do we hear that for the first and only time? From the Samaritan woman. But was there Jacob's well? Yes. How did they know? Oral tradition. One, two, the well is still there. Yes. At the time of Jesus, right now it, it's, it's, it's about 110 feet deep, which is very deep. In the time of Jesus, it was much deeper. Knowing that would make you understand the woman's bewilderment. You came to a well with water. You didn't bring pill. <laughs> so draw from this. You think it's spring you came to? Do you understand this, the thing now? And you must look at scriptures carefully when you're studying. It's, it's just a spring. You could just bend down and just scoop the water. It was a well, man. And you came to this place. And you didn't bring something to draw water. If you knew he was asking you for water. You, you would ask the person that is asking you for water. To give you water. Hey, I love that scripture. 
Jesus came to the well and said, give me water. And then she reports, she, she, she reports and Jesus says, if you know who is asking you to give him water, you will ask him to give you water. <laughs> and she says, our, our father Jacob built his well, drank of it and gave his sons. You don't see that in Genesis. What is that? Oral tradition. That is still scriptural. Because scripture refers to it. So it's scriptural because it refer, because scripture refers to it. If scripture lays hold of it, it is scriptural. If scripture drags what is outside the remit of what is written and makes and something that is written refers to it. We must pay attention to it. So David, David comes up in the conversation of Paul's letters. And he's like, okay, those things that were, that were written are a public display or a portrayal of stuff that should teach us doctrine. That's how Paul was able to lay down the gospel from the Old Testament. They read the same scriptures from different lenses. Israelites searched it looking for themselves. See where I started? Paul searched it, seeing who the message was about. And Israelites haven't seen it yet. Because they are still reading the Torah looking for themselves. Still trying to study the times. It is written there. He will come on a donkey. A donkey's donkey. You saw donkey. You saw the donkey's donkey. You saw somebody's donkey. You have a problem. See! Did you not see? Isn't that what Paul quotes Romans? You know, Paul's Romans, this letter of Romans, was a major, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Thesis or major exegesis of the Jewish problem and salvation. The whole of Romans. Romans, the book of Romans. The whole argument of Paul in Romans is this conundrum of people that Jesus primarily died for. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. It's the power of God and salvation to those that believe, first the Jews. Then it shall be my witnesses, first in Judea. Samaria. And then the uttermost part of the earth. They're not seeing. So he gave them over. That's how Romans 1 starts. First Timothy 1. And verse 10. Didascalia, instruction, learning, learning, yeah? See, see, see some examples. First Timothy 1. And 10. Kidnappers, uh, sodomites, kidnappers, valias, perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound didascalia, doctrine. That's the same word. I, I, I was in my study, I realized Paul used this word to Timothy up to 20 times. Yes. Between first and second Timothy, more than 20 times. It, it, it keeps coming up. Instruction, doctrine. All scripture is profitable. Jesus Kalia. Keeps coming up. Look at four and six. First Timothy four and six. I'll show you like four or five. All in Timothy's in his letters to Timothy. First Timothy four, six. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and the good didascalia, which you have carefully followed, doctrine. So Romans 5 and 4, 15 and 4 renders it learning, 
But in actual fact, it's doctrine. Learning that teaches you the doctrine of the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you following the story so far? So the things that were written beforehand that are publicly portrayed were written or portrayed for you to understand doctrine. Which is to say, for you to understand the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you following so far? So that, okay, let me show I said I'll show you some more. 5 and 17, 1 Timothy 5 and 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially in those who labor in the word and... You see that? Let's take one more. Three, 2 Timothy 3 and 10. 2 Timothy 3, 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. You see that? All, all along, Paul uses that word repeatedly. Doctrine. So that, go back to Romans 15 and 4. So that by patience, right? Other translations say perseverance. Other translations say endurance. Same thing. Hupomone. Same word. As it is pronounced. Hu or hu po mo ne. E with the accent. And that just simply means being steadfast and continuing in something faithfully. Now, in my study, I found out that it could have any of two meanings. In the context of Romans 15.4, can refer to, since it's endurance, right, or perseverance on continuing steadfastly, it can refer to enduring as through the scriptures. Like enduring on the basis of what scriptures is teaching you. Right? It can also, it can also refer to enduring in the scriptures. Continuing steadfastly in the study of the scriptures which were written aforehand for your learning. There could be error of this, but I think contextually, this latter explanation is more acceptable. Contextually. If Paul is talking about learning and talking about doctrine and then mentions the word perseverance, he's likely not saying so that the scriptures can help you to endure. He's more likely saying so that you, through enduring in the scriptures... Does that make sense? Contextual. So that you continue steadfastly in the scriptures that have been written with hope or with comfort rather. And the word comfort is the word paraclet. Paracletos. Another comforter. Alright? So comfort is the word paracletes. Which is consolation. But you know, I, I, I realized I hadn't said this before. I hadn't quite unpacked paracletos. Paracletos is, even though I've taught you what comfort means from 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 and from 1 Corinthians 14. But the Holy Spirit is called alos, another paracletos, another comforter. Paracletos refers to comfort or consolation, but it refers to it in the terms of a call that somebody close to you calls out to you to inform you what God's position is. <laughs> so it's comfort and consolation, right? But more narrowly, Paracletus refers to a call you hear close to you, from somebody close to you or inside you, 
that will tell you this is the plan of God for you. Now, picture what Jesus says. I will send you another comforter. He will not speak of himself. He will take what is mine and give it to you. Do you understand comfort in that, in that, in that context? Paracletus goes even further than just that call you're hearing, telling you this is the mind of God. It goes as far as establishing that that call that you are hearing that tells you the mind of God is the legal evidence you need that can stand up in the court of God and say, I did this thing because of what you said to tell me. So you cannot ignore me because what I have followed is what your representative has told me is your legal position. I know it's a lot of words, but follow it. I'll try and unpack it again. Comfort. Consolation. Right? Encouragement. Yes? But in the, in the, in the terms of somebody who is close to you, calling you and saying, Esther, this is what God's word says about your healing. This is what God's word says you are in Christ. This is your position and your identity. That's comfort. Not, not, not be strong. Don't cry. Be, be encouraged. That's not comfort. Take heart. Don't cry. You know, you see him on the last day and all of that. You know, the, you know brothers come, brothers go. You know, God for us all. That's not comfort. Paracletos is that voice that calls you from inside or within and explains to you God's position. But it's, it's not just God's position as something you can take or leave. It's God's pos- position as a legal... You know how you go to court and you go, my Lord, permit me to tender this as exhibit A. So that God's position is what you can take to God's court and said, I heard that you said... That I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Because the person that told me that position is your spirit. Then you are duty bound to honor this exhibit. Do you understand it now? So Paracletos is not just a, a, a knowing that you are righteous. It is that that knowing is legal tender in God's court. You can go to God and say, hey, I lay referring to. Referring to what your hold up. What is the other thing the spirit is called? Advocate. What does an advocate do? Noun advocate. He advocates. (laughs) Can you see how intentional God is in the language of scripture? Paracletes. Consolation, comfort, encouragement as comes from a a close call that tells you this is the mind of God. But not just as the mind of God, but as the mind of God that you can hold God to. You can say, God, this is your word. You said, if the Holy Spirit said it, it's you that said it. And because you said it, oh yeah. Give me what's mine. That's comfort. Oh, what a comfort. Excuse me, are you not comforted? Think of everything the inner witness tells you about who you are in Christ. Rest in the assurance that because the inner witness said it, it is God's position. And because it is God's position, it is is enforceable and cannot be refuted. So Paul says, 
The things I have written before that are publicly portrayed are given to bring you into doctrine of Christ so that by enduring in the scriptures and with the comfort of the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, you may have hope. Ekemon. From the word echo. Have. You may have hope. Echo. So with the endurance in the scriptures, as through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, you walk in possession of hope. And hope has a name. Men, we man have hope has a name. Acts twenty eight twenty. Hope is not an it. Hope is a him. Acts twenty eight and twenty. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. <laughs> for the hope of Israel, Hebrews six and nineteen. I think I need verse eighteen first, but give me nineteen. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. It starts to sound like a thing first. Both sure and steadfast. And then this hope which, not this hope that. Introducing a personality to hope. This hope which and this hope enters the presence behind only one person has gone there. And his name, according to this scripture, is hope. Hope has a name. Romans 15 and 13. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you getting this? Romans 15 and 13. Now may the God of hope. This is the same guy that prays. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Do you get it? Yes, sir. Paul is always praying the God and Father of. Yes, the God and Father of. Yes, the God of yes, our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, now it says here the God of hope. Because hope is a person. Yes, and he is the God is our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, God is a person. Hope is a person. You get it? Yes. Now let's put this together. It therefore means the previously written things. Which also means the publicly portrayed things in scripture were written so that we can derive instruction, doctrine. So that by continuing steadfastly in the scriptures through the leading of Paracletos, we would hold fast to our hope. So I put here, therefore, if you let the Spirit of God guide your study of the scripture, the outcome is singular, Christ. If you let parakletos guide your study of what has been previously written, the outcome of that study is singular, Christ. Are you following me now? The scriptures... Have one message. That was how Paul drew Jesus out from the scripture. That was how Timothy knew the Holy Scriptures. 
that thing messes me up every time. For when that was a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, Genesis to Malachi, that are able to make you wise, so false, unto soteria. Which is, think about it for a minute. Timothy knew salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, from knowing Genesis to Malachi. You, we are showing it to you in black and white from Paul's letters. Something is still wrong in you. And Timothy did not need Paul to write first. To know salvation, which is in no other name. Do you understand? This is not just a version of salvation. Salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy saw it from Genesis. While you are in Sunday school, go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Edomene, Joshua, Job, Judges, 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel, Chronicles. Your mate that year had seen Jesus. Did he choke you the way I intended for you to choke you? From when there was a child, is that not what Paul said? Your mates that year had handled the same books and understood salvation in Christ Jesus. We kept you in Children's Church. Chanting. The longest chapter of the Bible is Psalm 119, verse 1 to 150. The shortest Bible is John 11 25. God, Jesus wept. After I wept, then what? <laughs> they be boasting that you know how many chapters are in the book of John. And I repeat, your mate that year has grasped salvation which is in Christ Jesus from reading the Old Testament. So it's not, Paul can't even say, I taught Timothy. So this is how Timothy could see Christ. So if you look into the book, and look with hupomone, and look with the help of parakletos, and you don't see Jesus, there's a problem. Because Jesus is the message of the scriptures. You search the scriptures, John 5, 39, when then you think. See, Christianity, we have a lot of work to do. And Timothy was dissecting the Holy Scriptures and seeing salvation in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. So Jesus tells him in Luke 24, all foolish of heart and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken because they were speaking about him. And then verse 44, Luke, Luke 24, 44. It says, and he opened their eyes. Then he said to them, this, no, go back, go back, 44. That he, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. The, the book of the law. The prophets. The Psalms. Concerning me. They were concerning him. So say with me, Jesus is the message of the scriptures. I said previously written writings, eh? Well, previously written and publicly displayed or portrayed, right? So that we 
for our doctrine. And let's look at one of such writings. And let's draw out some doctrine. Genesis 4. If you want the title of my message, it will be By Faith, Abel. Previously written writings, right? (laughs) Are written for our instruction, doctrine. That's by careful, diligent following of the studies by the help of the Holy Spirit. We might see our hope. Genesis 4 and verse 1. Are you ready, yo? You didn't know Jesus was second born. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. Yes, I got your attention, right? You heard, you, you heard what I said? Good! Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore You are in Christ's experience, Abby. And bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Next verse. And she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Keep going. So people's eyes are already opening on account of all I've said. And in the pro- And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Next verse. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. I'm going all the way to verse 15, so go to verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with his brother Abel, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Keep going. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. My brother's keeper. And he said, as God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me (laughs) from the ground. It's not a Bible story. So now you are cursed from the earth which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Hold on before we continue. Picture the narrative of what God is telling Cain and the similitude to what he told Adam. One chapter earlier. It's the same message. The narratives just keep changing. 
The actors and players in the play keep changing. Same message. Where in verse 12? Receive even vagabond shall he be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. 14. Surely you have driven me out of the day, out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and vagabond in the earth, on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And he killed animals and protected Adam and Eve and covered them. And in verse 15, he protects Cain and says, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain so that anybody seeing him will not kill him for killing Abel. Give me, we're in Genesis, right? Give me. Do you have the message? Yes, we do. We have Genesis. Message 15. God told him, no, anyone who kills Cain will pay for it seven times over. Mm-hmm. God put a mark on Cain to protect him so that no one who met him would kill him. God not only did not kill him, God protected him from being killed the killing he deserved. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Somebody say, first man. man. And I said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Next slide. Then she bore again. Somebody say, bore again. Or bond again. This time, his brother. Who came first? Who came second? First Corinthians 15. 45 to 48. I know all kinds of stuff is going on. Open your eyes. Look at the scriptures. Yeah. Scriptures cannot deceive you. First Corinthians 15, 45. And so it is written. The first man, Adam. First man, Adam. Became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So it's okay, last Adam now. That's what the Bible says. Oh, wait now. However, the spiritual is not first. But the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. Uh-huh. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, the second man. So who was Jesus? She gave up to Cain, I have acquired a man from the Lord, first man. Thank you. Then she got Abel, second man. The first man was of the earth, made of the dust, the second man. First one she acquired. Yeah, acquired. The second man is the Lord from heaven. So the Lord from heaven is the second born. Second born man. That became the first born of this lineage. But he was not born first. 48. No, this teaching, I've already taught it. I'm just, you know, joining it. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Luke 3.38. Jesus, son of God, no? 
Now, this is the genealogy of Jesus being traced. And it's, it's coming down, and it gets to 38. It says, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So, Adam was son of God first, before Jesus of Nazareth. So, in this tale of two men, Jesus is the second man. By faith, Abel. Genesis 4 and 2. Genesis 4 and 2. The things that were written beforehand were written for our learning. That by diligence in following the scripture with the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, we will see our hope. Uh, Now she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Please look at this carefully. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Give me the NLT. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd. John 10, 11, Jesus speaking. John 10, 11. John 10, 11, Jesus speaking. The things that were written beforehand. <laughs> For doctrine. That us, in seeing them, will come into our hope. Who has a name? Abel was a shepherd. Sheep was his profession. Cain was a tiller of the ground. A walker. Why was he angry? Hoping to get credit. For what he toiled. What he produced. What he did. Hoping that he will be credited to him. For years I have labored for you. Remember? Luke 15. Shh. Who was laboring? Who was talking? Which born? Which born? I've been laboring and laboring and laboring. Hold on. Let me show you something else. Look through scripture. I just showed you now Jesus is the second man. Shh. Sam, look through scripture. And see the pattern of every first being skipped. Esau and Jacob. Ishmael and Isaac. Miriam and Moses. The prodigal son and his elder brother. Ephraim and Manasseh. Adam and Adam. It started is how it ends. Oh, it's not how it started, it's how it ends. It won't be long, it won't be long, it won't be long. I'm just showing you. I, I, I've already taught you, I'm just showing you. <laughs> Do you understand? I'm just showing you the walking. I've, I've taught you. Hoping for credit. Abel gave God two key things, which are actually one thing life and blood. They are one thing because the life of a thing. Two, Abel also gave God what he acknowledged only God could produce. That's why God said, do not kill life. For life comes from God. Do not take life. Only God has the power to take life. Because he gave life. So Abel, in acknowledgement of what he gave, 
gave God the life that came from God. He, and he gave God living things. He gave God an animal. He gave God something that had life. Because only living things can die as a sacrifice. So he acknowledged the God life-giving nature. What God gave life to. Genesis 4 and 4. Oh, you're going to love this, this, this journey. Genesis 4 and 4. And Abel also brought of the first born of his flock. That's a lamb. Flock. The first born of his flock. Is a lamb. A lamb. Can I see NLT? Best portions of the first born lambs from his flock. Can you see that? First born lamb. No, before you get to accepted, John shouted now in 129. Behold the of God. Peter, first Peter 119. I think it is. First Peter 119. Peter says the same thing. First, first Peter. Okay, go back to verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, 19. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as and this sacrifice of the lamb, spotless, best portion, was accepted by God. Ephesians 5 2. In fact, start from verse 1. <laughs> Therefore, be imitators of God as their children, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a. And that's biblical lingua, lingua for what is accepted before God. Yeah. Sweet smelling sacrifice. So Abel's sacrifice of his offering was acceptable. Jesus' sacrifice of himself was acceptable. Abel. Offered his sacrifice by faith. Not by intuition. Hebrews 11.4. By faith. Abel. Please pay attention to verse 4 carefully. Verse 4 says, By faith Abel offered to God. A more excellent, I'll come back to that shortly, sacrifice than Cain. Through which he able, hear this carefully, obtained witness that he was righteous. Hold up. Abraham is not the first person to receive credited righteousness. Father Abraham. Genesis 4. Abel, blood, lamb, faith, righteousness. Matthew 23. 23, yes, Matthew 23. Jesus is doing one rant like that. He starts from 29. One of those is rants. Matthew 23, 29. This is just beside the side. What to you, scribes and Pharisees? Hypocrites. Because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. Keep going. And say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Uh -huh. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. 32. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Uh -huh. 
serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of Please, who is speaking? And he calls Abel. Because Abel offered what he offered by faith. Now, if when I talked about Abraham, I told you that when he says, and Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. If it's Abraham believing God for a child, then what you are telling me is that once you are believing God for a miracle, you, are, you can be righteous. But he couldn't have referred to that, because it has to refer to the fact that Abraham believed God, having heard the gospel. If you argue and say, no, that faith, was believing God for something, then my question was, what the scripture say Abel was believing God for? When he says, by faith. If not for salvation. Dude had looked at his father and mother do their thing in Genesis 3. Because the nomenclature of it doesn't suggest that they had not been born. You know, it's not chronological. This, 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 these narratives overlap. I mean, there's no way I can be telling you somebody's story and tell you everything at the same time. So to get the creation narrative, you have to juxtapose Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 together. Add Job 38 to get the full narrative of creation. I can't be telling you something and be telling you how, in, when this was happening, you don't already born, no, that born, you don't, no, it, it, I have to tell you one. And then after telling you that one, then come and tell you the other one. And then tell, tell you, do you understand what I'm saying? So Genesis 3, Adam and Eve and in the fall does not suggest Cain and Abel had not been born. It doesn't suggest that. It doesn't suggest that. And I'm very sure this guy has seen his parents mess up. Had seen God, God, kill a lamb. Had seen God use the skin of the lamb he killed after shedding his blood to the earth cover his parents. If he wasn't there, they told him. If he wasn't there, they told him and God now said the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent and the head of the serpent shall bite the heel of the woman. Basically, this mess we created, God will redeem us. Abel, by that faith, offered a sacrifice. So Abel's sacrifice mirrored his expectation of God's salvation. Do you understand it now? It's very clear. His giving of a lamb, shedding of its blood, mirrored where his expectation was. So he saw the day of Jesus before Abraham. Are you here? So he was righteous. Long before. Long before. Jesus, Matthew 26 and 39. Matthew 26, 39. Hallelujah. Jesus went a little farther. Fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, 
If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. How did Jesus give his sacrifice? By faith. I don't want to do this, but I believe you. I believe your will. So on account of your will, I will do this. That's an act of faith. Abel offered a lamb. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Abel's offering, Hebrews 11.4 says, was excellent. Hebrews 5.2 says, this offering was a sweet-smelling aroma. And then God spoke and said he accepted Abel's offering. On the day that Jesus was baptized, God spoke and said, this is my son in whom I am. Acts 2.36. Acts 2.36. Oh, I love God's word. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, this, is, this shows you acceptance, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him Lord and Christ. Uh, if that doesn't show acceptance, nothing else does. Hebrews 10 and 12. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. I said, you don't, you don't rest because you're tired. You rest because you're done. Yeah. If his sacrifice wasn't accepted or acceptable, eh, ain't no sitting down for Jesus. Okay, let's proceed. Verse 7 of Genesis 4. Yeah, 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 I like this one. <laughs> Genesis 4, 7. If you do well, will it not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. His desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Why, why would you think Cain killed Abel? If you are going to look for singular words, what words will come to mind? Anger? Jealousy. Envy. And they are all cousins, first cousins. All first cousins. Well, come because James, hey, yes, nice one. James 3. Hey, that's sweet. It's sweet, very sweet, very sweet. James chapter 3, verse 15. Yee, Jesus. Verse 13. James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Ah, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from heaven. Uh, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist. Where this is it? Every evil thing shows up. Once there's envy and self-seeking. Envy, in other words, is the root of a plethora of evil things. Self-seeking. King got up, thought about nobody else but himself. Took Abel out. 1 John 3. 10 to 12. You will see shocking things in the parallels between Abel and Jesus. 1 John 3 and 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. In other words, whoever does not practice righteousness, just as whoever does not love his brother, is not of God. Verse 11. This is John speaking. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. See verse 12. Not as Cain who was of the... So, wickedness. From the beginning. Things written aforehand. Not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? And his brother... John 15, 25. See Jesus now. Envy, wickedness, self-seeking. John 15, 25. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. 22. John 15, 22. Just for context. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this, all this hatred happened that the word, the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me. Cain was envious of what Abel had and the fact that Abel seemed to enjoy more acceptance. Because whatever is not of faith is sin. And Cain did not offer by faith. So he wasn't accepted. He didn't do what he did. Even though it was a good gesture. A good deed. It was just a good faithless deed. See Matthew 27 and 18. (laughs) Matthew 27 and 18. For he knew. It wasn't the message of Jesus that killed him. It wasn't that Jesus was bad that killed him. It wasn't all the insulting that he insulted them and flogged them that killed him. He knew that they handed him over, over, handed him over. Because of envy. Stay here and give us other translations. (laughs) He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus. TPT. Pilate was fully aware that the religious leaders had handed over Jesus over to them because of their bitter jealousy. Because of their jealousy. What did the message say? Sheer spite. Yes. He knew that it was through sheer spite. Earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. Do you notice that in the narrative of Cain and Abel, Abel did not die a natural death. Abel was killed. He was taken out. In a violent way. Acts 2.23. I've shown you the scripture before. He didn't die a natural death. Acts 2.23. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Jesus did not die a natural death. He was cut off in his prime, 33-year-old man. What you will call in today's parlance an untimely death. Premature death. 
unnatural death. Check their family. Something must be wrong. Check their lineage, their ancestry. Most, I'm sure people die around 33. And Cain was cast out of the vagabond and a, and a fugitive and made to roam the earth. He wasn't killed, but he was punished. Cain wasn't killed, but he was punished. There were consequences for killing Abel. Roam the earth, be a vagabond and a fugitive. You just saw in Acts 2 now that they took in the lawless hands and crucified and killed. Do you know Israel was punished for killing Jesus? Yes, natural Israel, physical Israel. What came upon them in AD 70, the sacking of, of Jerusalem? Jesus prophesied it in Mark chapter 12. Yes. For their human participation in killing Jesus, natural Israel was punished. Scattered across the face of the earth as fugitives and vagabonds. But having upon them the mark. It was Abel's brethren that killed him. It was Jesus' brethren. Okay, sorry, Abel's brother. But you get the point. Abel was killed by his brethren. Jesus was killed by his brethren. Cain was sentenced to a life of being a vagabond and a fugitive, roaming across the earth, but on one condition, nobody will kill him. Because God had a plan for his redemption. The brethren of Jesus get up and kill him. God sends them out as vagabonds and fugitives, but puts a mark on them that if you mess with Cain, you will mess with me. Cain is my mess and not your mess. Till today, if you mess with Israel, you mess with me. Israel is my mess. Till today, Israel has not found its way home. Go and touch them. Mark 12. Things that were written are beforehand. beforehand. Mark 12, 7, 9 through 12. I'm almost done. Believe me. Mark 12, 9 to 12. Therefore, oh, back up a little bit. Back up a little bit. Jesus tells a parable about people, people that came. Uh, you know what? Just read from verse 1. You, you see, you just see the parallel nicely. From verse 1. Therefore, he began to speak to them in parables, right? Mm-hmm. And then a man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers, a servant, he sent a servant, that he, the, the owner, might receive some of the fruit. Follow Jesus' parable of the vineyard that he planted from the vine dressers, the caretakers. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Jesus is giving you a parable. Next verse. Again, he sent them another servant. At him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated. So far, he has sent a few prophets. They beat them and refused them. This time he now decides in verse 5. Again, he sent another. And they killed him. And many others. Beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one his beloved. He also sent him to them last. Last. As in these days. As in these days. Spoken to us. 
sent him to them last saying, but she be Israel. The vine dresser said among the says, hey, this is the ear. Come, let us kill him like Cain. And the inheritance. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard Golgotha. Outside the outskirts of the city. Therefore, Jesus asked them. So now that you have done this, Jesus has not died yet. He has not been crucified yet. But according to what was written, it's because he has died that he came to die. So he now says to them, therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do now that they have killed his son that he sent last? But Jesus had not died yet. He will come, Jesus says, and destroy the vine dressers, the caretakers, the custodians, the ones through whom the scriptures came. Paul writes this in Romans. They respect Israel because through them do we get the scriptures and salvation. So they are divine dressers. And give the vineyard to others. Do you know where Jacob's well is now? In a small town in Palestine. And I will give your vineyard. So the only reason why they are there until scripture is fulfilled is that God gave their vineyard to others. But have you not read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. 11. This was the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. 12. And they sought to lay hands on him because of what he said. But feared the multitude for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. Who is them? Israel. His brethren. It was barely 70 years after Jesus. This prophecy was fulfilled. They destroyed Jerusalem. They had to beg for them to allow them access to come out of Jerusalem through the guys to the sea and exit. It was horrible. Jerusalem was sacked. The scripture that says no stone shall be left on the other was was fulfilled in real time. That's why the temple is no longer there. It was sacked. Sacked the best of them were taken into captivity. The rest begged, okay, just because what, what they were interested in was the land, not the people. So that's why they let Israelites go out and then end up in Russia and Germany and Ireland and everywhere in the world that is scattered as vagabonds and fugitives for the part they played naturally in killing the son without cause because of their envy, just like Cain. Verse 10. Of Genesis 4, as I begin to round up, does his blood not cry out to me from the ground? I've been checking. I'm happy to retract this statement if I find it. I've not had plenty of time, but I've been checking. And I can say on good authority that I haven't found any other instance in scripture where a human being's blood was said to have cried to God. Such that even when we pray these Christian emotional prayers, Father, the killers of these you know, the terrorists, Father, these people, their blood is crying. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry. It's not crying, sir. 
there were only two bloods that cried. They cried distinct things. The cry of the second put paid to the cry of the first. The two bloods do not cry concurrently. Or else we have a major blood problem in heaven. When you say the blood, which one? But the blood of Abel cried. God heard it. That's because Abel was beyond Abel. Abel was a type of who was to come. So Abel's blood speaking was not a laying down of doctrine that human blood speaks. If it was, you'd have seen multiple other instances where the blood of people are speaking different things. Ah, Pav was killed. Bring his blood. Let us read it and know what the blood is. So Abel's blood speaking to the hearing of God wasn't a, an endorsement or a typification that everybody's blood speaks. But because Abel was a type of the second man, his blood spoke. If his blood had spoken what the blood of Jesus would speak, there would have been no need for Jesus to come. So even though we are showing you that a second man will come, he will issue his life as a sacrifice. He will spill his blood and his blood will speak. At this point, we have to change the particulars of what the blood is speaking. To preserve the particulars of what that blood will speak. So on a natural level, yes, yeah, speaks vengeance. If God, hey, what about the house? If God, did, did Abel's blood speak vengeance? Did Abel's blood speak vengeance? Did Abel's blood speak vengeance? Did God hear Abel's blood speak vengeance? Does Cain sound like somebody God did vengeance to? What is vengeance? Because these same writings define, in the Old Covenant, defines vengeance. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth, yeah. blood for blood, yeah. life for life. Yeah. That's vengeance. But God ensured, nobody touched King. But God heard the vengeance of the blood of Abel. That God heard Abel's blood does not mean God answered it. Because if he did, according to the natural parameters of the story, Cain would have evaporated right there. Ah, but the important thing is that the blood spoke to the hearing of God. And then we come to Hebrews 12. And he's saying we have come. Hey. And then he comes to verse 24. Hebrews 12, 24. He now says, to show, to show you that Abel was a type. He says, we have come to Jesus. The mediator of the new covenant. And he says, to the blood of spring. So who was Abel all the, all the while? A type. And at this point, what does he become? Antitype in the sense that the particulars of what the blood is speaking changes. 
and that's why I've taught you that every type and shadow had a limitation. The, a type and shadow cannot be perfect. Cannot be perfect. Samson could not have been perfect. J- Joseph could not have been perfect. David could not have been perfect. Gideon could not have been perfect because they are types and shadows. They show you what is to come without claiming the other thing. In some instances, without even knowing that they were that type. By the time David is realizing he was a type of Christ, all of it's us that will be telling him. Because he's dead now. You understand? And that when we see, we're like, ah, man, devil. <laughs> but he said, you know, try. <laughs> You're like, me, type of Christ. We're like, yeah, sit down. Let's show you what angels desire to look into. Because you, you died before the reality. We will enjoy the reality. So now we, we senior you in this business. Yeah, you can't be perfect. And so let's explain to you how you showed us, you showed us Christ. Me, me, who? Hey, me. Yes, you. Most of them had no knowledge that there were types and shadows. We have come to the blood of sprinkling. Speaks better things. Hey, TPT. Hebrews 12, 12, 24. We have come to Jesus who established a new covenant with his blood. Sprinkled upon the mercy seat. Blood that continues to speak from heaven. Forgiveness. A better message than Abel's blood that cries out from the earth. So when men scream justice, what does God scream? The message. Careful with which blood is crying. You've come to Jesus who presents us with a new covenant. A fresh charter from God. He's the mediator of this covenant. The murder of Jesus, unlike Abel's. A homicide that cried out for vengeance became a proclamation. So you see, God has been deliberate about the salvation plan from the beginning. From the beginning. Jesus came following that plan. So he writes in, in Hebrews, I think 10, 10 and 7. I showed you earlier from, from Psalm 40, uh, verse 7 and 8. He's, Jesus says, I, I come in the volume of the books. Hebrews 10. I come in the volume of the books. Verse 7, thank you. It is written of me to do your will. Jesus did not come second guessing what God wanted him to do. He didn't come being arbitrary, being random, trying to understand what would God have me do. Okay, let me try it like this. Let me try it. Every single thing. That's why I said to you that you can look at the trajectory of your life and not see yourself in the scriptures. But in Christ, you are in the scriptures. Because Christ, everything that happened to Christ happened by the foreordained knowledge of God. So Jesus arrived on the scene in no controversy with no equivocation about how God arranged these things for him to do. He comes just following. That's why Luke is marking him and saying, this happened that it might be fulfilled. What is written? That happened, it might be fulfilled. What is written? That's all Luke is interested in. And Mark, you know, yeah, that's Luke. Mark is the immediately guy. Mark is immediately, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately. I don't know why he was rushing. But look, is the, and it was written that it might be fulfilled. He's constantly t- keeping tabs on Jesus' movements and narratives as fulfillment of the scriptures. 
So he says, I come in the volume of the books. It is written of me to do your will. God preordained us in Christ. He predestined us in Christ. I wrote here, if he came in the volume of the book, which he did, then we are here in that same volume of the book. Because we are in him according to the volume of the book. Does that make sense? There's none of us that is an addition to the book. Hey, I told you I will teach you the book of life. And I will ask the people that argue it to show me where they saw an instance where a name was being written into the book. To, 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 to uh, infer that a name can be taken out. Because what they looked for was the names that were not written. Not a removal of names that were written. God then in that case, no guessings. You knew a, a name will not make the book and you wrote it. Then stop claiming your omniscient. Well, sit down. Take a course in what it means to be omniscient. Come and brag around here. You knew you would delete a name. Oh, oh, sorry. You didn't know. It just happened to you. Hey! And we are following you for salvation. You see the Wahala? We are following you for salvation. And you don't know what is going to happen. What is not. You wrote a name. You know you, you, the name will not make it. And you didn't know that the name could just get up and wipe itself. And we are following you to be saved. We have all men most miserable. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow. We must be careful with our theology. Must. And that's why people drag our God in the streets. Because we don't have an answer to ask, give them that ask us about the hope we profess. What kind of God is that? Oh, he says to see those whose names were not ever written. And that is the foreknowledge of God. That is the election doctrine of God. Not that God determines those that will be saved, but that God knows them that will be saved. To the last number. And you see that number, because he knows the end from the beginning. From before the beginning, the names were written in the book. So everybody that is saved is gravitating towards their place in the book in Christ who is the book. We are not fighting for a place in the book. Every sinner being saved, everybody receiving new birth is just taking their place as has been written. He is not writing and unwriting and rewriting in the book. We have been shouting for years, God is not random. My name is registered in heaven. My praise, my praise belongs to you forever. This is my testimony, declare it. This is my testimony. Yeah.
us grace. This is my test. This is my testimony. From death to life. Because grace rewrote. I testify. volume of the book. It means we are preserved in the volume of the book. Keep playing, keep playing. We are not just preserved for the day of the Lord. Hear this carefully, I'm done. We are preserved till the day. There's, there's, there's a difference. Preserved for the day means that whatever happens to you on that day will deliver you there. Yes. Whether you die or whether you live, whether you succeed, whether you see, you are the preserved. Our preservation is not just for the day. Our, our preservation is ongoing till the day for which we are being preserved. So we are being preserved for the day until the day in the volume because if Jesus did not see corruption till he entered glory oh you're waiting for me to speak for you because the final statement in my notes is as with Jesus now you can give him praise Hallelujah. 
And before you take your seats, go to four or five people with great rejoicing. Tell them, I rejoice with you that your name with mine is in the book. of the book we live in the volume of the book we take our healing in the volume of the book we prosper in the healing in the volume of the book we happen to life in the volume of the book we overcome storms in the volume of the book we rise above adversities in the volume of the book we are preserved for the day in the volume of the book we are preserved till the day in the volume of the book we are forgiven in the volume of the book the blood speaks forgiveness in the volume of the book the blood speaks grace in the volume of the book we are uplifted in the volume of the book we are blessed in the volume of the book we enjoy superior living in the earth in the volume of the book life responds to us in the volume of the book we thank you father we thank you father we thank you father we thank you father Hallelujah. By faith, Abel. The faith of the Son of God. Say Paul Amen. The volume without understanding is powerful. I, I can't, I might not see it. But if I see him, and I am in him, yeah. whatever the book is, yes, I'm yes, it. Yes, yes. And it doesn't matter how. See, Jonah's storm. Jonah knew Jonah was the cause. And the fish was planted for the destination of the storm, not the destination of his obedience. This whole Jonah story was about the fish. For him to get to the fish, he had to disobey. And God knew. So he put the plan in the wrong tree. Don't eat this tree, eat this tree. Don't go here. It's the same story over and over and over and over. Different narratives, same story. Different actors, same story. One, key something, make me venison and I eat and bless you. Carry this one, post them here. But this one we're after. So Jonah tells them, come down, come down. I mean, this thing is because of me. Oh. That says, okay, sacrifice me, throw me. Let me give my life for my brethren. gave his life, his brethren now killed him. Because when they threw him overboard, they didn't throw him overboard to swim. And he didn't jump out. It was not suicide. He said, carry me. Throw me. Once you throw me, and this time will die. Because I'm the cause. He said, okay, ah, since I'm the cause. Oh yeah, come here. After since you joined us at drop up, wahala after wahala. What kind of passenger is this? Threw him over. 
lawless hands. Right there. Into the water, into the fish, God had prepared. So the entire script of the narrative was to bring this stubborn person to the fish. And if I told you, get up, go to Joppa, I have prepared a fish there to swallow you. <laughs> so God sold him his worst nightmare as a narrative. I'll probably teach on Jonah someday. Because at the time God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh of the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a thorn in the flesh to Israel. Every Israelite wanted every Assyrian dead. It wasn't just go to a random place. No, no, it wasn't that. It was God was telling Jonah at the time, go to your worst enemy, the one that's persecuting you right now. Do you know how um, Gideon was hiding from the Philistines? At this time, Assyria was a thorn in the flesh to Israel. God says, go and tell them to repent. He told Jonah to go and do what he knew. Jonah will not do. And Jonah was like, but you serve God, you know. It's only with you all things are possible. <laughs> with me and these guys some things are not possible so he now starts to go in the opposite direction to avoid doing what God told him to do he didn't know that God is the master of sleight of hand because imagine how stupid God and a fish should have looked if Jonah had obeyed Jonah is on the Atlantic and the fish is in the Pacific and that is all he would have taken for Jesus to not be able to say just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Hey, see, I respect the word of God. That's all. Jesus would not have had that sign. And that was the only sign Jesus gave. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So also the son of man shall be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. So the whole narrative was to set up a type shadow for Jesus to reference so you could see that three, four thousand years before Jesus, a type and shadow had been released. Wow! So when I see that narrative play out with my elder brother and scripture tells me I am now in him. means my entire narrative is playing out in him. So we have rest on all sides and peace on all sides because we are in the volume of the book. Give him praise one last time. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.